One of the biggest problems facing modern spirituality is the problem of quality control and authenticity. And at the heart of this, we have this recurring issue as well of people, teachers proclaiming themselves to be enlightened without any kind of criteria to determine enlightenment, without any kind of quality control in that regards. So in today's episode, what I wanted to do is look at this problem a little bit, see how the ancients, how the sages handled this problem of uh, people declaring themselves enlightened, what are the criteria of enlightenment, and what are the subjective aspects of enlightenment which uh, can help a person gain certainty in the quality and validity of their experiences, as well as the objective uh, phenomena associated with the realized state according to the teachings of the sages of the various traditions of the world. So I hope that you enjoy the episode. There are many problems that arise when enlightenment is turned into something that is utterly and entirely subjective without any kind of objective repercussions or phenomena associated with it. And one of the main problems with it is that because it's such a personal experience, it's very difficult for a person who uh, truly is convinced that they have achieved self-realization it's difficult to actually in any way attempt to qualify that statement, to attempt to prove it in any way whatsoever. And we end up with a situation where people can proclaim themselves to be realized beings simply because they've had a realization. Maybe they've had many profound realizations. But the Shastras and the scriptures of the various traditions allow room for that. They allow for there to be many dimensions to your approach to the truth. But upon the final recognition of the truth, there are certain criteria that have to be at play. If we throw out the criterion of the spiritual path and the criterion of realization, then we end up in a situation like we have right now in modern spirituality, where anybody whatsoever can be an authority, as long as they have good marketing campaign, they have good branding, they've written a book or two, they've talked on a show... Uh, whatever the case may be, if, if they know how to speak well, if they can word their arguments properly, or, you know, then it becomes very difficult to try to uh, establish really what enlightenment is. Because in such situations where it seems like your enlightenment has only affected your own mind, it's very difficult to establish any kind of criteria or proof. Because at the same time, your enlightenment may only be in your own mind. You may be simply imagining your own enlightenment instead of trying to rely upon uh, some form of outward proof or some form of outward consistency to help validate the experiences that you've had. In today's world, we have a lot of isolated practitioners who they are just reading a lot of books. Maybe they've jumped around between many different masters or gurus, but they've never actually developed a deep enough relationship with one of those spiritual teachers uh, for the teacher to be able to take responsibility for their state, take responsibility for their attainments, and so that the disciple can rest assured that if they recognize the truth, the teacher will tell them. Many people instead, actually, the moment the teacher maybe, you know, dismisses some of the realizations the student has had, the student gets angry, and they leave, and then they go and they do their own thing. 
And so this is one side of it. Another side of it, of course, is just lack of information. Many people don't fully understand even what is meant by the word enlightenment, what it is they're trying to achieve. So they have a realization or two that has a profound effect on their mind, on their psyche, and now they believe themselves to be authentically realized beings. But without any kind of criteria, what ends up happening is the whole thing becomes incredibly cloudy. The entire spiritual path becomes very murky, and it becomes difficult to know who's a realized being, who is not a realized being, where do you stand in relation to those other realized beings? What's the criteria of proclaiming oneself to be enlightened? Can you proclaim yourself to be enlightened? Is there room in the traditional approach to the spiritual path to allow for such a thing? And so on and so forth in these ways, we have to try to go into some of the deeper dimensions of this problem because the spiritual path is intensely personal and it takes place primarily in one's mind. And so it can be very difficult. The mind is a, a very clever trickster. And because of this, it can be very difficult to know if the mind itself has actually been exterminated in the way that the classic teachings on this say is supposed to happen when true realization arises. Or has there just been a transformation of the mind that's happened that makes it much more joyous, much more pleasant, much more peaceful, but nonetheless the mind is still there. When a person touches truth, when they actually touch the reality of truth directly, it has a profoundly transformational effect on the entirety of their being. And there are not only subjective proofs of that transformation, there are objective external proofs of that transformation. So we're going to look at some of these issues here to try to better understand this process so that we ourselves don't be deluded, we don't become deluded by people who are self-proclaimed enlightened masters, and we ourselves don't delude ourselves and proclaim ourselves to be enlightened beings without any actual criteria for doing so. Trying to properly qualify uh, a set of experiences that are as subjective as the spiritual path, anything that's as subjective as the spiritual path, just becomes difficult to try to, in a sense, regulate and classify and categorize so that we can understand how we're developing within it, because everybody experiences it in a very unique and very personal way. Uh, despite this, the classic teachings give us both inner and outer signs to help us along the way, so that even if we lack a qualified guru who can point to us and help us you know, know whether or not we've fallen a little short of the truth or if we're getting quite near it, uh, even if we lack that, we can still nonetheless rely on some criteria from the ancient teachers to help us better understand how our progress is going. Now, from the subjective side of things, there are many transformational experiences that are going to happen, many profound states that may happen. And I think something that ends up happening very commonly is a practitioner who hitherto has been somewhat in despair about the state of their path. Maybe they've been practicing for years and years and they haven't had very good signs. And then finally, one day they have a big breakthrough. They come to some very interesting understandings and realizations. Very, they have very transformational experience on the path, whether it's in the form of some kind of phenomena such as vision, a vision that they have or ecstasies that they experienced or they experience a very peculiar physiological state like the breathless state or some kind of subduing of the, of the brain state. Regardless what the experience may be, it can be very overwhelming. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of happiness in that. And because they have been coveting enlightenment so much their entire life, they've been really, uh, in a sense, 
have an intense desire for it, they are unwilling to admit that maybe that isn't what has just happened. Right? They practice for a long time, nothing happened. Finally, something happened, and without the proper guidance of a guru, and without the proper humility to check oneself thoroughly against the, the teachings of the scriptures on this and the teachings of the various spiritual traditions on this, instead, one just out of elation of the experience gets lost in the moment and decides to proclaim that their experience must have been the enlightened state. So how do we keep ourselves from falling into this pitfall? How do we keep ourselves from being stuck in this situation? Because for someone on the spiritual path, you would think that this would be one of the worst things that you can possibly do to yourself, is to believe yourself to have been at the finish line, when really you might have just actually officially started. Many times when we practice on the path, it can take years of practice just to even truly get started on the path. Just to get the mind enough out of the way, the self enough out of the way, desires and attachments sublimated enough, the lifestyle finally pure and clean enough for us to be truly making progress. And then once we're in that state, many interesting spiritual experiences begin to arise. And some of them are very powerful. And if you stop at the first one and celebrate too much and think, okay, now I've, I've achieved the final state, you might actually be cheating yourself tremendously. You may have actually really just started the whole journey in earnest instead of having completed it. But for some reason, people are very fixated on this idea of completing the journey without realizing that much of the spiritual path, the goal itself is the path and the path is the goal. It is the daily walking of the path, the living of the path that is one of the main hallmarks of spiritual success and of spiritual realization. All of my teachers still practice and do the sadhana every single day. So <clears throat> one of the reasons why that's a good safety net to have, instead of the sense, oh, I'm going to achieve completion one day, then I'll be done, no more practice, nothing else to do, is uh, if you're out of that habit of good daily practice, you might not realize the mistake you've made. Whereas if just because of habit you keep returning to your practice every day, even after you think you've attained whatever final state there is that you believe is, is there at the end of all of this, um, if you keep practicing every day, your practice alone may help instruct you and show you that you were a little short-sighted when you celebrated. You celebrated a little prematurely. This is an important point, is to continue our work. If one achieves realization, truly achieves realization, then wants to stop all of their work, as it says in the Das Bod, uh, Swami Ramdas, Samarth Ramdas says in the Das Bod, uh, such a person must still think that they're the body if upon whatever realization they had, now they want to cease all activities that the body is associated with because they feel that has anything to do with enlightenment, they must still be associating with the body and with the desires of the body too much, which itself is a clear sign that realization has not actually happened. Almost every self-proclaimed spiritual teacher I've ever met, the moment that you challenge them, right, anyone who, who claims to be in this enlightened state, for the most part, when you challenge them, when you challenge their authority, or even just ask some particularly difficult spiritual questions and problems on the path, they become very flustered, they become upset. And this shows that they're still in a kind of delusional state. They're still grasping at things. When you spend a lot of time around them personally, you see that they are still grasping at many things. They still have a lot of different desires. Their emotional states still fluctuate greatly. And yes, there are uh, such things as crazy wisdom, there are qualities of the enlightened state that can be difficult to see on a person externally, but everybody, all the great teachers and masters are in accord, and or at least in a singular consensus, that what has ceased in the enlightened being is all forms of delusion and grasping. 
If they're still grasping at things as though things are real, and they're still clinging to things as though those things are truly existent in and of themselves, then they've fallen short of the truth according to the Taoist teachings, the Buddhist teachings, both Zen and Chan and Mahayana, even Sufi teachings and, and other Western forms of spirituality. If that clinging and grasping is still there, then eventually if you spend enough time around them, you'll realize that suffering still arises within them as well. Not pain. Pain is different than suffering. Pain is a fact of life. People can get hurt. But suffering is a, is a mental state, a psychological state that we put ourselves in when we cling to things. And that clinging gives birth to hope and fear, which then eventually leads to aggression and other forms of psychological and emotional disturbance. So generally, if a person is educated enough on the spiritual path, which is why it's very important to educate yourself in these things, if you spend enough time around these, these so-called spiritual teachers, you'll see that they're still quite deluded because you can see the clinging, the grasping, and then from there eventually you can see the delusion, the anger, the aggressiveness begin to arise and other such uh, things that are the product of personal delusion. And then you know spiritual path still hasn't been fulfilled. Likewise, in your own path, in your own practice, if you really believe that some kind of transformational state has happened, understand that there can be hundreds of, you know, like if we look at Hakuin, for example, the great Zen master, says there are hundreds of minor satoris, hundreds of minor enlightenment experiences that you're going to have. And any authentic spiritual practitioner will experience these. They're very transformational. Right? In the Greek philosophic tradition, these are called metanoia, transformations of consciousness. These things have profound effects on you. But if still delusion and clinging are still there, right? if you still cling to things, if you still reify things as though they have an authentic existence in and of themselves separate from you, and act that way accordingly and act as though there is an individual self, eventually delusion and suffering are going to arise. And when suffering arises and all of a sudden you find yourself slipping off into a little daydream because you don't like what somebody said or you're upset about something somebody did, this is a clear sign to you that there's still much more work to do. So get back to work. Don't handicap yourself. Luckily, the spiritual masters of the past, recognizing some of the problems with how subjective the spiritual path is, did kind of hammer out certain lists, certain groups of objective signs, objective phenomena to help us, you know, to kind of use as a quality check against ourselves. Because inwardly we may be certain that there's peace, there's joy, there's non-attachment, but if none of the outward signs are arising, this can help us better understand that we must still be missing a little something. Unfortunately, again, just like not every person has all the subjective signs, all the inner signs of attainment, even if they've actually achieved the truth. Likewise, not every single person has all the outer signs. So the outer signs are sometimes given in really you know, big groups, 20, 30, 40 different things, because even if five or six of them are there, this at least can help you have, feel like you have a little bit of evidence to support you. The problem is some of these outer signs can change for people depending on what their karmas may be, depending on how they trained and what different techniques and tools, what spiritual methods they used along the way of their path. They're going to be more prone to having some of these signs. And there can be versions of these spiritual signs even before any kind of lasting attainment has been reached. And so an example of this is the inner heat. Right? There's a spiritual heat associated with realization. Even in incredible, uh, even in very Advaitic schools, you know, people like Ramana Maharshi and others, 
if you read the writings of Ramana, uh, he mentions this, this heat, and some of his disciples even mentioned having problems with uh, handling the sheer amount of heat that was arising up as a result of their meditations and contemplations. There's a purification that happens, even physically, not just psychologically, and not just vitally with the, with the nervous system, but there's a kind of physical purification that can happen. And it's part of the physical transformations that are sometimes associated with spiritual realization. If you look at before and after pictures, for example, of, of some people like Osho or, or some other prominent spiritual teachers, you can see how their faces actually change. Right? If you look at like the before picture and the after, you can see that it looks like their whole bone structure even eventually changed. Their eyes changed. The way they carry themselves changed. There are certain actual physiological developments and changes that can occur as a result of profound realizations. And some of these have nothing to do with other spiritual methods. Some of these happen even in a person who hasn't trained themselves energetically. Whereas for someone like a Hatha yogi doing a lot of pranayama breathing exercises, or someone like a Taoist Nagang master, a Nedan master doing lots of internal energy movements, Kriya yogis, you know, Siddha, the Siddha tradition, things like that, they already have a very physiological approach to the spiritual path. So they're more prone to have physiological signs like the, the inner fire, right, the psychic fire. Uh, they may have those just as a part of their practice. And so this is where we come into some issues. There's a, a heat that can arise, and, and even uh, some of the Zen masters talk about when they had their realization, their body was covered in sweat, immediately beads of sweat rolling off their head, their arms, their legs, all, the, all your pores open up. It can actually be a really intense physiological experience. Many masters talk about being bedridden for two or three days after their realization. Uh, some masters lost consciousness for days or weeks on end. Some masters all of a sudden went months sitting in one place without eating, without sleeping, sitting lost in meditation as a result of their attainment. If we look at the biographies of the masters and the well-attested uh, kind of testimonies of their disciples, we can see that the realization itself, especially the final realization of the truth, is often associated with profound physiological signs, developments, and changes. That something happens with the body because the body itself being part of our being is a mirror to some of these things that are going on. A second very important sign that I feel is far more important even than the psychic fire and some of the outer physiological changes is the transformation of the quality of sleep. Sleep, if you or have really making any decent progress on your path, sleep should be one of the first things uh, to let you know you're making some decent progress. Yes, of course, there's also things like virtue, how we respond to people, how we react to different situations. Those are important signs, especially early on. But something like sleep is very difficult for our own psyche to trick us with. Right. So what I mean is that we may be convinced we're becoming a better person, even if maybe people who know us well think, eh, you know, I don't really see it happening. Um, likewise, we may hypnotize ourselves quite a bit about different things that are happening within our mind or within our spiritual experience. We may convince ourselves that we start feeling a lot of bliss with everything, and then we end up actually feeling quite blissful. And we want to try to stray out of self-hypnosis as much as possible. What will happen on the spiritual path is without effort on your part, without needing to do special dream yogas and recitations and things like that, 
the quality of your sleep will begin to transform and change in really interesting ways. Your entire relationship to sleep will change. You'll become conscious of, of what happens in between the waking consciousness and the dream state arising. You'll feel the stillness there. You'll start to have interesting spiritual experiences and psychological experiences that happen as you enter into the dream world while you're in the dream, as well as with even the state of deep sleep. There will just be some, some strange phenomena that arise within the mind that aren't fabricated. These weren't things you were trying to, to make happen as the result of some kind of dream yoga or self-hypnosis. These were things that as the quality of your brain and of your mind transformed, everything you did began to transform. And that reaches into sleep as well. So I've always felt that one of the really important signs of spiritual progress is, has your sleep changed? In your, when you have dreams, do you have dreams as the exact same person you are when you're awake and you're nice, peaceful, calm, quiet? Are your dreams still chaotic and all over the place? Do you even remember them yet? Are you conscious of the transition between awake and sleep? Can you maintain that transitional state without allowing the dream world to arise? Do you, do you wake up sometimes from the dream world before you've woken up physically and just sit there awake within your sleeping physical body. These are things that are very difficult to fabricate because sleep is such a deep-set physiological phenomena. We're hardwired for it. So it's hard for us to manipulate and control uh, too much. So I've, I've always found sleep to be a very important sign of authentic spiritual progress because, again, a lot of things happening in sleep are happening... Uh, beyond a, a field that you normally have exercise a lot of control in. Another thing that should happen is your experiences, your encounters with the world, with the environment, with nature, with people, should begin to transform. If some authentic realizations are happening, other people who've had authentic realizations may seek you out, may approach you even unwarranted, unasked for, especially if you're in a country where spiritual practice is very prevalent. So I encourage you, if you believe that some serious spiritual transformations have occurred within you, I encourage you to go to places like India and Nepal, Bhutan, uh, maybe places in China or Tibet. Go to places where the spiritual tradition is still very strong and rich, right? especially you know, Buddhist countries or Hindu countries and where there's still many spiritual practitioners. And you'll see for yourself that without seeking anybody out, people will seek you out. You'll see for yourself that high-level spiritual practitioners will find you because genuine practitioners have a way of recognizing other genuine practitioners. Even if the supreme realization has not actually happened, just to be a genuine practitioner is a good thing to know, whether or not you kind of meet that test. Right? Are you actually even a decent practitioner? And when you go to places where the environment is full of, of a rich spiritual tradition, you'll find that just bizarre things happen, right? Really strange incidences uh, with, with nature, with animals, with people. You'll find that other saints and sages in the area who normally don't even come out to see people because they live in caves and forests might come out and somehow already know your name, know you're going to be there. I've experienced these things myself. If you go places where there's people like this, it can be reassuring a little bit. It can give you a little bit of confidence, a little bit more faith in your path and in your method and your own teacher and your own tradition. It can just reassure you a little bit to help you know that you're not just psyching yourself up a bunch about your own path and your own practices and therefore tricking yourself into believing that there's been some kind of attainment when really an attainment hasn't actually authentically arisen. And finally, of course, as you get deeper into the path, some radical transformations even in brain states, your neurological states, 
uh, can happen. You may lose senses of time and space for hours at a time in deep meditation. You may close your eyes, have a nice 30-minute meditation, and open your eyes up three days later. There can be all kinds of, of really bizarre, you know, interesting spiritual and psychological, neurological phenomena that can happen as a result of your spiritual development and progress. But ultimately, I think the best way, the safest way, for a practitioner to navigate around all these problems, all these sophistications and difficulties when it comes to the realized, uh, to the realized state, is to find an authentic guru and to have uh, someone who you have faith in, who you have confidence in, who you feel you have many of your own reasons for believing in the authenticity of their own realization, and just have faith in them that if you yourself have reached that place, they themselves will recognize it. And if you have faith in them, you shouldn't have any problem with that. If you do have a problem with that, it means either you don't have faith in them or you, you have some you know, good reason uh, to think that your teacher may not be actually authentic, in which case you may need to seek out a different teacher. There are plenty of cases, of course, in history of uh, divine beings, beings who are remembered for their saintliness, uh, themselves proclaiming that they have reached realization, even without the immediate recognition of someone else saying, yes, okay, I agree, you've reached uh, attainment. Siddhartha himself is kind of like that. And, uh, you know, proclaimed when he was asked by the Brahmins, who's your witness of your attainment? He famously, he touched the earth. He said, the earth is my witness. But then the rest of his life was a profound proof that he had recognized that state. And so you have to be very careful because if you proclaim it yourself, you need to be asking yourself, well, where's, where's my proof? Right? How can I show the, the proof of this? How can, is my life as it is right now a proof of my attainment? So these are some of the thoughts I wanted to share today and, and in this episode on the subject because I think it's a, fascina a fascinating subject. And it's something that really we all need to be attentive to, not only in our own practices, but even in the spiritual groups that we associate with. We have to be attentive to this so that we don't accidentally throw ourselves away, throw ourselves off of the spiritual path or, you know, kind of cut our own path and development short and rob ourselves of the peace and the enjoyment and the felicity, the spiritual realization we could have enjoyed if we had just better understood what was happening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to like the video and to subscribe to the channel. Thank you.